holiness. And it's not because somebody come and confronted me or talked to me, but after I preach something, sometimes the Holy Spirit will come and kind of nudge my heart and say, hey, I know that this is not what you meant, but when you really like accentuated this point, you kind of made something look a little bit different than I would like you to have done. As the Holy Spirit will say that to me, right? Because um, God is very serious about how we represent Him. Right? I heard from a pastor that the reason why Moses did not enter the promised land is because he misrepresented God. He made God look like he was mad. When he had to tap the, the rock, instead of just tapping it, he like hit it. And, then, and God's like, why are you doing that? that that's, not, that's, that's not how I feel right now, right? And so he misrepresented God. And God really takes seriously how we represent Him how we represent the things of God and His kingdom. So this is just a disclaimer. I talked about last week about the holiness of God and how, like, reading the Bible and praying doesn't make you holy. You know? And when I said that, I did not in any way try to undermine or undervalue the importance of prayer and the Word of God in our lives, right? Um, you know, like, I was, say, I was talking it in the point of legalism. People think that if they read a lot of the Bible that they will automatically be holy. Or if they pray a lot, right, that, that prayers will make you holy. That's legalism. That actually leads to death. Right? But uh, I want to note that the point of all of that we're doing here in church and in our life for Christ is to see Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to know Jesus, to understand Jesus. And I want to let you know that there is no understanding of Jesus that we have outside of the Word of God. Right? You can't have an understanding of God outside of what the Word of God tells us it is. I know that there are some people that are prophetic, and yeah, the prophetic will always have to come under the Word of God. You guys have to know that, right? And, um, you know, if, like, people think, like, you know, if you, if you think about Jesus and that painting of his face, you know, the white guy with the beard, long hair, and the abs, if I, if I think about him hard enough, like, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be holy. No. Like, like you could think all you want with your imagination that does not sanctify you, right? You know, and some people, this is actually serious. Some people think that singing praise songs, right, will, will help their relationship with God. And you know what? Praise is very important. Our praise, worship, past, worship leaders and worship pastors, praise and worship is very important. But you know what the worship of God is? Praise is an overflow of our heart as it comes into realization of our revelation of who God is. That is praise. Praise is not a song. Praise is not hill song. I know Hillsong is great, but listening to a Hillsong album 24 hours a day, knowing all of the words by heart, does not make you holy and will not sanctify you. Because the, the praise is only when there is an overflowing of the revelation of who Jesus is in our hearts that would be transformed into praise. And then we have these vehicles called songs that we're like, we can't just like, ah, God is good. So then we form notes in our mouths and we sing songs. But in no ways does that is that worship. Worship starts in the heart, right? I know I know praise leaders that have fallen away from the Lord and have fallen into sin, and I, and and I, I bet for a lot of them, they in their minds they have mistaken that if they praise enough, that they will be sanctified. But they don't understand that the praise that we have also starts from the Word of God, and it starts from the Word of God, and as it bubbles forth from us, there's prayer where we were like Jesus. We talk with Him, and then it transforms our hearts, and then praise is produced in our hearts. Songs is just like a, a, a method. It's just a, a tool that we use to actually worship the Lord, right? And so I don't, I don't want to undermine 
the Word of God in any ways is very important. There's, there's no way for you to actually see Jesus right, without the Word of God. You might, you might think you do, but if you're not in the Word, your representation of Jesus might actually be very off. And so that's my little disclaimer. I wrote it into my sermon because not because somebody told me to. Holy Spirit was like, hey, you should, you should clear that up. And I was like, okay. Holy Spirit, is, is, he's awesome, right? You know, with recent changes, I'll have a lot more opportunities to preach going into the weeks to come and the months to come. And so uh, the, the pastors have gone together and like, like felt like we should do sermon series out of the books in the Bible. And so I'm praying recently, and I've chosen Ephesians to do a series on. So the book of Ephesians is a very special book, right? For a lot of people, it's their favorite book. Who, who, who's if, Ephesians, your favorite book? Raise your hand. Any of you in here? Right, not a lot, but just a few. Um, it's been called the Rolls Royce of Epistles. Some theologians have labeled it the quintessence. I had to look that up. The quintessence is like the ultimate, like the pure essence, the crown of Paulinism. Paulinism is is basically the theological principles taught by or ascribed to Apostle Paul. Right? So he's saying it's like the heart of what Paul, right? in all of the letters that he wrote, it's like the quintessence, it's like the crown of what he had to say about the gospel and about Jesus and about, about spiritual life. Um, some have gone as to say it is the divinest composition of man, the distilled essence of the Christian religion. I don't know if it goes that far, but it really is a very special book. And I feel I can't do it justice. Right? I like didn't really want to pick Ephesians because for so many people it's their favorite book. I didn't want to be like, blah, and mess it up for you guys. right? But uh, I don't feel that anyone can actually do any of the books in the Bible any justice. As the Word of God is active and alive, it's only through faith, humility, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to find any kind of revelation from the Word of God. And so I ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and breathe upon the Word of God as I, uh, and bring fresh revelation as I start this series. And for us, for God to really speak what God has and wants to bring us to our church at this hour. Amen? Amen, right? So, before I start today, I want to shed some light as to what kind of city, what kind of church the letter of, of, to the, uh, the, the, the book of uh, Ephesians was actually addressed to. What was Ephesus like? Not just the city, but what was the church like? What was the, the atmosphere? What was the climate of, of the people that were able to receive this letter? Now, Ephesus was located uh, in modern day. Everybody know where Ephesus was? Anywhere? Okay, it's in modern day Turkey. You guys are like, whoa, very Turkey, right? Um, not gobble gobble Turkey, but Turkey, the country. Right? It's on the west coast of Turkey, and back then it was one of the largest cities in existence. Right? There was a Rome during the Roman Empire. Um, there was Corinth, which was actually in Greece. Right? It's like the, in the in the Athens area, and then there was um, there was uh, Ephesus, which was actually considered like the, the entrance to Asia. And Asia back then wasn't like, you know, Chinese people and Korean people and Japanese. Asia was actually Turkey. was actually like the Bible describes Asia as, as, as Ephesus and, and this area surrounding um, Ephesus. And so there's that. And then there's Caesarea, which was entrance into Jerusalem and Judea and, and, and that. And so there was this, there's, in the Mediterranean Sea, you see this line of ships 
that were able to go through these ports. And these areas became very prosperous and were very like thriving metropolises. And Ephesus um, was, was this port city, and the center back then it was very rich, and a lot of the people believed that they were rich and they were prosperous and that the city was growing because they were like the, was the, it was a center of, of a worship of a, of a goddess, a false goddess named Diana or Artemis. Like the Romans called them Diana, um, and then the, the Greeks called her, as a woman, um, her Artemis. And there was actually a temple to, for Artemis that's actually one of the seven wonders of the world. Hey, who's heard of the seven wonders of the world, right? Like the, the pyramids are one of them, and then I don't know any of the rest, right? <laughs> like the, the, but um, the, the, temple, uh, the, the temple for Artemis or Diana was actually one of the seven wonders of the world. It was this, and it's, it was like rebuilt like three times. And at the time, that the, like when Paul was like in this area, it was at his grandest like level. Like it started way in BC, like you know, I don't even remember when. It got destroyed. It got rebuilt again. It got destroyed. And it got rebuilt again. And it, when it was built a third time, it was like amazing, right? And so it was this amazing city. And the whole economy believed that it was the worship of this this false goddess named Artemis or Diana that actually brought them their prosperity. And we know in Acts, uh, I think it's Acts 19, where Paul is like preaching about the gospel. And he talks to them that like no no God is 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 like there cannot be a God that is formed by human hands. And then the people that are making like these like idols of Artemis are like, hey, what's going on, man? This is like this is messing with our economy. And so there's like there's a riot that's about to happen in the city right, as the gospel is proclaimed, and people are like, Artemis is not is not real, right? Because there was such a it was such a center for the worship of this deity. Now. Um, we, we read, and, and so this is the, the spiritual climate in which this church at Ephesus is formed. It's surrounded by, like, idolatry. It's surrounded by wealth. It's surrounded by commerce. It's like New York City. You know, there's, like, entertainment. It's like, you know, like, New York is, like, I've never been to New York, but we have a New Yorker here. It's like, it's pretty great, right? I mean, it's very worldly, right? And it's like, cha-cha-cha. Like, you know, things happen in New York, right? And it's like, this was Ephesus, right? Ephesus was where it was happening, right? And then at the center of it was this worship of this, this, this demonic god, Diana. Or I don't want to say Diana because I have a friend named Diana, so I won't say Artemis, right? So this demonic goddess named Artemis, right? And so, um, and so and then this is how, it, in this spiritual atmosphere is where the church of Ephesus was born. born. It, wasn't, it wasn't just worldly, but it was very idolatrous. Now, uh, we read about the beginning of the church in Ephesus, in Acts 19, we read about it earlier. Uh, Margaret read it. Uh, we're not going to you know, read it again. But in Acts 18, Paul, he's in his second missionary journey. And uh, he gets a haircut, right? He gets a haircut uh, as he le- leaves Syria. You know, and then the Bible says he got a haircut. You should know he got a haircut, right? So he got himself all like nice and like lined up, you know, really nice. And then he decided to go with Priscilla and Aquila. And, he, and, and they go to Ephesus for the first time. And then they go to Ephesus. He drops off Priscilla and Aquila there. And then he starts to kind of preach in the synagogues. And they're like, you need to stay. But then Paul, he wants to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to get back to Antioch. Right? He wants to go back to, to Caesarea, go through. And he wants to eventually go back to Antioch, which is his home church. That's the church that sent them off. So that's like his new Philly term. Right? It's like, this, this is my, so I, he has a longing to go back to 
And so he actually leaves him there, says, peace out. He goes back to Antioch. And then while this is happening, there is a man named, from Alexandria named Apollos. Right? And we, I don't know if you guys have read Acts, but it talks about Apollos. He was preaching the way of the Lord, and he was even talking about Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of, of John, meaning that he didn't really know about the gospel in his entirety. He knew about a Messiah. He actually knew about Jesus. He actually knew about the baptism of repentance through John the Baptist, which he was preaching, but he didn't fully understand the, the, the gospel that it actually ended with Jesus Christ and the baptism into, into, into Jesus Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they're these missionary team of husband and wife, they're tent makers that were traveling with Paul, and, uh, and, and they, they like tell them, hey, like these, these are the, the holes in your, in, your, in your gospel right now. This is what you're missing. So Apollos hears this, and he's like transformed, and he starts to actually preach the gospel, and he, like he has a huge effect. And then he goes off to Corinth, and he starts to, to minister in Corinth. And Paul, at this time, he starts his third missionary journey. And so as he starts his third missionary journey, he ends up in Ephesus. And it's, the Bible we read today says that he finds disciples there. But then these disciples, like, like he realized something is off about these disciples. And so he asks them, he's like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're like, no, we, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. What is this Holy Spirit? And so um, Paul, he, he tells them, you know, he preaches to them about the Holy Spirit, about the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and then so because he asks them, like, you know, into what, what, like, what were you baptized into? And then he's like, the baptism of John. And he's like, okay, you guys don't, you guys are the, the, the remnants of what Apollo was preaching. And so he goes and he, and he baptizes them the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches to them about the gospel they receive. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. They start speaking in tongues and, 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 and prophesying. And then it says that there were 12 men in all. So there's a small group of men that Paul starts to raise up. 12 men, right? And it says in verse 8, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, these are Jews that are in the synagogues, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So for over two years, Paul is preaching and teaching the saints in Ephesus. There are Jews, there are Greeks, you know, and, and they've, They've been under the spiritual guidance of Apostle Paul for actually three years. Because later on he says like he was there for three years. And the church is growing. Because he talks about how like, like all of the residents of Asia were able to hear the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so like as, as, it, as Paul is there in Ephesus, like the word of God is spreading all throughout Asia into this area. And one thing we have to take note is, out of all of Paul's missionary journeys, Ephesus is the one place that he really stayed a long time. Out of all the places that he visited, in studying his journeys, Paul would travel for a few months here, for a few months there. He would stay like at the most like a year and a half, I think in Corinth, in Galatia. But then, like this is the longest stretch of time that he actually stayed in one place. Um, he, was, he would stay there for three years. And in Acts 20, after he's been with these disciples for three years, he, he takes off towards you know Macedonia, and then he goes on his journey, 
And he actually makes his way back towards near Asia. And then he's about to, like, he, so at this point, he really wanted to get back to Jerusalem, right? That's his goal. His goal is to get back to Jerusalem because he wants to get there in time for Pentecost. Pentecost is a, like, a, a pilgrimage kind of holiday for the Jews. Like, the, the men of age would pilgrimage to, is that a word, pilgrimage or pilgrim? I don't know. Would, would make their way to Jerusalem, right, to, to celebrate Pentecost, right? And so Paul is like, I, 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 my goal, like I'm, on, like, I'm just, I'm on a, you know, like, have you ever been, like, I'm on a mission. I'm going to just get there, right? Like, you know, I, like, like I, we're trying to get somewhere, and, and your friends are like, oh, let's stop here and look at the flowers. You're like, no, we're going to get there. Like, he, Paul was on a mission. He wanted to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. And as he's passing Asia, like, like Ephesus tugs at his heart. Right? Like, he, he can't just, like, be near them and just ghost them, right? Am I saying that right? Am I using that right? Ghosting somebody? It's like ignoring them? I told you, I'm woke, right? He can't just go. He can't just go and just like ghost them and be like, ah, oh, they don't know I'm going by them, you know? Like, like, he, like Ephesus is tugging at his heart. And so he actually, and I think in, this is in uh, Acts 20, he actually tells people to go to Ephesus and call all of the elders to come and meet him as he is traveling back to Jerusalem. And the elders come. And, and so... Like, these are the people that he had spent three years ministering to, speaking into, sowing into, saying, man, like, like, like building them up. And, like, you guys, you guys are surrounded by all of these, like, like you know, things, but then, you know, you, you know what's up, right? Because at, this is the place, right? And Ephesus was the place where, like, 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 the Spirit of God just broke out. It was this atmosphere. They were surrounded by, like, idolatrous worship. They were surrounded by this temple, this... This this mega like like amphitheater temple that that is like just worshiping the devil and in this midst right like it's a perfect atmosphere for faith to rise up because it was in Ephesus where like it says in the Bible I don't I don't know where I have it but it said the spirit of God came and there was like amazing signs and wonders being done by the apostles and it said like a handkerchief that Paul would use right Paul would be like oh I'm so hot and then this handkerchief will be will be taken to a sick person. Right? And, and then she would be healed, right? That happened in Ephesus. That happened when Paul was in Ephesus, right? Don't throw that on. No, just kidding. Please throw that, throw that away, right? It ain't nothing on there, right? It's just my oily head. Um, so it's like this, this powerful word, move of God is happening in Ephesus. And, 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 and Paul was there to experience it with this group of people. And then as he's gone and he's going through, he's coming back. He's coming back. Um, he can't just ignore them. He can't just, sorry, I have to give him a kiss. He can't just ignore them. And so he calls the elders to come. And then as they come, this is written in Acts 20. I'm going to read it to you. Let's turn into Acts 20. Um, it's, it's verse 18. It says, You yourself know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. He's like, all right. I, I was with you, and I, and I did everything I can. I love you guys. 
But, like, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is just telling me, man, when I go there, they're going to lock me up, throw away the key. I'm going to be persecuted, but I'm, I'm going I'm to go. He says, um, imprisonment and affliction await me, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I, am, I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you, you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's like, man, I'm going to leave and you're never going to see me again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So I gave you everything. I gave you everything that you need. Right? I pay it close, careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with them. He's talking about his, his business, a tent maker. He's like, I, you know, like I, I made money for myself using these hands. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give and to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. And we know that Paul went to Jerusalem right after this, and he was ultimately arrested. And then he, he has his time in his ministry where he locked up in Rome uh, and he's sending these letters right? Um, and, and this is this is the part in his ministry where he, he knows that he's going to get arrested now this is what I see as we study the church in Ephesus we see Paul in his journeys come to a city and he finds a group of disciples that are hungry but they don't know the whole truth so he stays and he teaches them the truth about Jesus teaches him about the gospel. He spends three years, and I believe he saw much potential in these in these men, and in, in this church. It's a metropolis. It's a pagan city. It's surrounded by idols and idolizers. Because he sees so much potential in these saints, these believers. And so he stays for an extended period of time, and as he's teaching and admonishing them, building them up, it's like, the, it's like this perfect atmosphere for faith. And in the in, in, and surrounded by idols and surrounded by the worship of the devil, God shows up with power. And I talked about it earlier. It says God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul so that even the handkerchief or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. This is like crazy things that he, Paul's doing in Ephesus with these group of believers that he, like, he, he is invested in. And the church, the body of Christ at Ephesus, sees these things. They are amazed 
and they are strengthened. And for three years under the tutelage of Paul, the church in Ephesus is, becomes a church that knows the truth, has experienced firsthand the mighty power of God. They've seen firsthand God healing people with a handkerchief, you know, with an apron, with, with just, you know, like, this is the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. He sees, they see the mighty power of God are established firmly in the gospel. And as Paul says goodbye to these saints in Ephesus, he's like, I'm gone. I'm peace out. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and, you know, I'm going to get arrested. But you guys have everything you need. I've given you everything that I can give you. I spent three years with you. You know, I, I know you guys. You guys have my DNA. You guys, you guys know what it is that you must do. Keep the faith. Hold fast. Do what I've taught you to do in these past three years. And then they cry. I'm sure manly tears. Like my tears when I cry, right? Manly tears, right? And they send him off to his ship. And he sets sail. And later, as Paul's sitting in prison, he sends this letter to the saints in Ephesus. And it's the book of Ephesians that we're about to study together. Now that's the kind of the history of the church at Ephesus. Of how Ephesus kind of became a church. And how... Like, like that's the atmosphere in which Paul is writing this letter. It's a very special book. Because it's a book addressed to people that Paul knew were mature in the faith. He spent extended time with them. You know, he knew what they were capable of. And he knew the type of believers that they were. Not only that, it's different from the other epistles in that it seems like it was written to a broader group of people than just a few individuals or like a local church. It has more of a universal feel to it and many theologians believe that it's, it was sent to Ephesus and it was, a, it was a letter that was supposed to be circulated to all of the other churches that were rising up in Asia. Because we talked about it, Paul, he's like, you know, like I preached to everybody, basically. Everybody heard the gospel. I'm sure as many people, Jews and Greeks, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in that area, many churches were started. So it's, it's, it's known that he would he'd be like, hey, I know what you're capable of. I know that you're doing your thing. I'm going to send this letter to you. It was like this, it was like a more universal letter that wasn't just for a local church, but for the greater body that was in that area. And it's one of the rare epistles, epistles, epistles or letters that are written by Paul. And it isn't, it isn't trying to correct something, okay? Or it's not trying to rebuke a false mindset or meet some kind of a need. Like Galatians, right? Galatians was written to the, to the, to the church in Galatia because they were like struggling with legalism. There was a circumcision party. Right? A great party. Right? The, the circumcision party rose up saying that, like, hey, you need to be circumcised if you need to be saved. Right? It's legalism. Right? So he sends his letter to Galatia, basically like tearing down that mindset, right? rebuking that false, false doctrine. Right? He, he writes the letters to Corinthians to talk, to talk to deal with their immorality and like, like to talk about unity and their division and talk about like he, he writes Second Corinthians to like defend his apostleship, saying like, hey, this, I'm an apostle, right? And you guys, you guys need to like really fight to like you know, weed out all of the false apostles and the false prophets out there, right? There's a need that he's addressing. There's an issue that he's tackling in these letters. Romans, right, is filled with theology because he knew that Romans, right, and the thing, the thinking of the city of Rome, they, they needed to be established in like good, proper, righteous doctrine. 
so he Romans is filled with just doctrine and theology, right? It's what they needed. But then Ephesians is the one book that really doesn't address like a need. It's not attacking like a false mindset. But his letter to the Ephesians is different. There's no correction. There's there's no meaning of a need. But it's, it's, it's literally like Paul is praising God with the Ephesians through this letter. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of like establishing them in who they are. It's like you know this is you, right? Just keep up the fight. Keep keep doing what you're doing. This is you, right? Like, like you are, you know, like where he talks about, like, you are blessed. Like, these are the blessings that you already have, right? This is, this is what you are walking in. It's like a pep talk. And he's, like, praying for them. There's many times in Ephesians where he's like, I'm praying for you. That you're going to continue to do this. And so we have this book, this letter that Paul writes to his followers, people that he has sown into for years. He personally had gone out of his way to build up this church. He knows them. He trusts them. He sees their maturity. But today, I want to. My main purpose is to frame this book for you, right? Because I believe that this book is framed between what happened in Acts 19. Right? You guys know I talked about what happened in Acts 19, the beginning of the church, and it's also framed by Revelation 2. Right? It's framed by what we see in Acts 19. All of these amazing things that's happening, and Paul just raising them up, and he's just, he's just like, dude, you guys. You guys are and you guys are you guys are doing everything right. And then we have Revelation two. And this is what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, way after. And this is the letter that Jesus this is this is the message that Jesus has for the church in Ephesus. And let's read that together. At Revelation two, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the word of him words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Lampstands. What did I say? Lampstands? <laughs> Lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with the, those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. For me, this letter to the Ephesians is framed in this way. Ephesus of Acts 19, being trained, taught up by Paul for years, doing amazing things, you know, like like spreading the gospel, establishing other churches all throughout Asia. And then and this church that Paul, as he's being imprisoned, he's like, like I can I can just ignore, I can ghost all of these other churches, right? But I can't ghost I can't ghost them, I can't just ignore them. And so he has to have this it's like recorded, only recording of like this type of interaction with Paul in a church where he like actually calls the elders to come. It's like and so it's 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 framed between Acts nineteen and, and twenty, this this righteous church. And as time passed, they became a church that was doing everything right. They were patient, hating evil, refuting false teachers, doing what is right, and not growing weary, but have abandoned the love they had at first. And in the midst of preparing for this series, I couldn't help but compare New Philly to Ephesus. Because God did amazing things in 
our church. For years we thrived. And people were being transformed. And I was transformed. My wife, so many people were transformed. People experienced the fire. got awesome mission trips. Our mission trips were amazing, guys. And we have our missions director, our old missions director right here, Lisa. She would send us on these missions and like we would we would pray for the sick and they'd be healed. We were like, we would like do amazing. Our mission trips were amazing. Mighty moves of the Holy Spirit. I think back at our retreats, and I think, man, our retreats were really special. You guys remember our retreats? For those of you guys that have been with our church, for our retreats were awesome. It was like, like it would like blow my mind at times, right? They were really special. And as a church, we had everything down. We knew what to do, how to do it. We knew our vision. Get people freed. But I feel like Ephesus, we became a church at some point that lost sight of the love we had at first. Some of you guys may know, some of you guys that have been running with us for a long time, the people have been felt unloved, people have been hurt by our church. A lot of people have left our church. You know, Itaewon, our first church plant, closed. And I couldn't help but draw this comparison. I was preparing, preparing a few weeks ago. I was talking to the other campus pastors, and I was talking about doing a series. I was led to Ephesians. I feel like our church can really benefit from the encouragement that Paul had for the saints in Ephesus. Things that they knew were to continue to move in. So I will start my series and basically my sermon now. Why are you guys laughing? That was just my intro, dude. Now, I want to basically close with the I want to basically close with the beginning of the letter, just the first two verses. We're going to just go through two verses of Ephesians today. Let's turn your Bibles to Ephesians one. Some of you guys are like panicked. Your toes curled. You're like, oh how dare you. Paul, let's read I'll read it to you guys. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul starts all of his letters with this greeting. And he says it with confidence and boldness. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every letter, in some way, shape, or form, there is grace, and then there is peace. Grace to you. Peace, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Father. Now in, in First and Second Timothy, he mixes it up. He says, he adds mercy. He's like, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Because I think he knew that Timothy would mess up. So he needed a little bit of mercy, right? So he sticks mercy in there. But in essence, there's always grace. And there's always peace as he addresses any believers in the body of Christ. It's like grace to you and peace to you. You know, why not love? Why not joy? Why grace and peace? And I believe that Paul always started this letter to the saints with grace and peace because the times that they were living in were not easy times. You would know if you ever studied the life of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about 
his suffering, he's like, let me boast for a minute. Let me just boast just for a minute about the suffering that I've gone through. And he's like, if I may boast, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Dang. His back must have looked like a like egg or waffle. I don't know. Like, must have looked crazy, right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, and in dangers from false believers. It's like a rap. I have labored and toiled, and I have gotten, have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. This is what Paul went through in his missionary journeys. And Paul writes this letter. It's not in a time like today where Christianity is like known by everyone. And being a Christian is fairly easy, right? Unless you're like in the Middle East or like in China somewhere. Like being a Christian is not like... It was not easy. Imagine. The church back then were literally, as Jesus said, sheep amongst wolves. There was persecution in Acts, the beginning of Acts. The church in Jerusalem, they're all gathered together, worshiping the Lord, and then they all scatter. Why? Because of persecution. You're like, the Jews are like, what are you guys talking about? This Jesus? And they start persecuting them, and, and, and they flee to, to areas, and that's, God uses that to spread the gospel. You think it's hard to be a Christian now? Think about it how it was back then. So, and so Paul starts all his letter. And, and here in the book of Ephesians, is no different. He starts with the truth of God, the truth of the gospel. And the truth is that now and at any moment in time, God is directing towards us his grace, his amazing grace. Grace is the ultimate truth. It starts everything. Right? His amazing grace is truth. They need to know this truth. There's grace. And with the grace that God has for us, there is a peace that nothing in this world can take away from us. So it didn't matter if the church in Galatia was like filled with all of this legalism, or if like the Corinthians were filled with all this immorality, and they're like trying to like you know not like you know watch porn, but like ah, oh, it's just everywhere, right? It doesn't matter because he starts his letters like there is grace and there is peace. There's this amazing grace. Bring to us his amazing peace. And he starts all his letters this way because it's the one truth that will always stand. For there is grace, there is peace. Do you guys know that? You guys might have turmoil in your life, but if you hold fast to grace, you will experience peace. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It, it doesn't matter if you're like, I got fired. Yeah, I got fired. I don't have a job. You might be sick. You know, like your, your boyfriend might have dumped you. Your girlfriend might have dumped you. So many things in our world that we feel like, ah. Oh. But if you find grace, this amazing thing called grace, we're able to find peace. And it's a peace that is beyond our circumstances. It's a peace that is beyond even our understanding. And, and Paul, he starts this letter this way. Grace 
and peace to you through our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? As I write this letter, you have to know that you are under grace. And you have to know that with that grace, you have a peace that can overcome anything. You know, there's been crazy things happening lately. We've been through a lot. As a church, we've seen a lot of shaking. You know, Pastor Christian and Aaron, they resigned. Our Itaewon campus, they closed last week. It was our last Sunday. Itaewon was our first church plant. They've been in existence since 2010. That's, that's eight years going on nine. A lot of shaking going on, a lot of a lot of uncertainty. Some of you guys might be nervous, some of you guys might fear, some of you guys be like, Hey, I'm just I'm out, peace out. We have to know that God's grace is over us. God's grace is over this church. And with his grace there is peace. And it's like a peace that comes like a tree planted by streams of living water. It's a peace that can only come from Jesus. Today, God is speaking over our church. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I want us to really grasp grace at this hour for our church. Not just know it in our minds, but experience it in our because it's one thing to know about grace, but it's another thing to allow grace to actually change the way that we live our lives, affect our decisions, affect the way that we feel about things. And me and me and Mina, we got into a huge fight the other day. It was pretty. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been a, that angry in a long time. Right? I get really angry when I call her and she just ignores. She, she, we know when she declines my call. I remember, I was like, like I called and I was like. I, my love, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to talk about you in my sermons. Can you forgive me? I, I made a promise. I, I forgot. But I remember in that moment, I remember in those moments, like what really helps me to repent and helps me to turn is to know that like I'm under grace. And when I really understand the, the, the ramification of grace in my life, it makes things very easy for me. It makes like apologizing makes like enduring certain things easy. It makes talking to people easy. Because there's a peace that is established in my, in my heart. And it's a peace I know that it's not based on something that I do. But it's based on something that is in me. Which is Christ Jesus. And I, we we're just starting Ephesians and I, I believe that God really wants to, to bless us immensely through this word. So I want to encourage all of you guys to start reading Ephesians. This week, meditate on Ephesians 1. And meditate on it. Read it. Read it again. Meditate on it. And I want you guys to be able to tell me after my sermon. Because I, I believe you did not understand this. Did you did you see this? And I'll be like, whoa! That is awesome. Thanks for letting me know. Let's let's study this word together, guys. Let's really get into it. As we as we really see what God has for us and for our church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you 
for knowing, Lord, that you are in control. And you have given us your grace. And with that grace, we have a peace that is above our circumstance. We are able to transcend this world. And so we pray, Lord, help this word to go deep into our hearts. We pray for this sermon series. I pray that as we study Ephesians, that the, the true intentions of what Paul had for those believers in Ephesus will start to come alive in us. And the true intentions that you have for creating this amazing book, your word will come alive and will, will ignite us into being individuals and to being a church that is after your own heart. We thank you and we love you. Let's all stand up.